Hey everybody, David here. The audio you're about to listen to is ripped out of a video that's up on YouTube that corresponds to this particular machination log. I'll put both in the podcast notes and on the website itself where to find that video. If you want to watch that, I highly recommend it. If you can stomach or, for that matter, even watch a video version of what we're doing, it includes many little tidbits from the movie itself, and you'll hear some of the audio excerpts of those in the audio version as well. So I highly recommend checking that out. It took way too long for me to edit, but I do plan on doing several of those in the future once I get a better handle on Final Cut. But in any case, enjoy. For us. I'm here. Okay. Well, that all seems to be dandy. Let's unplug this I see thing. noise, who's, sound, who's, who's that? things. That's the fourth microphone under the table. Oh, yeah, okay, because there's... Yeah. yeah. I, thought, yeah. I thought it was like yeah. another <laughs> system. <laughs> Back up. No. Surreptitiously held under... <laughs> no. So... So I have the option... Okay. ...for anyone's voice to use either that, tri- that shotgun microphone, any Boom. of these cardioid microphones, the lapel mics, or this thing. So, this should theoretically be the most recorded podcast. <laughs> in, in Machination Log history? In Machination Log history, right. if not the world. Well, I will, I will say that I was present at the inception. You, you were. Excellent. You were present <laughs> yeah. at the inception of both the redundancy and the initiation to boot. Yeah, oh. I think you were on the first podcast. Damn. You were. Oh, man. Genesis. Whew. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. It is good to be Man, back. It seems like so long since that raucous Scarface party we had. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, any fresh scars from that uh, viewing of Scarface, anybody? Nope. No, okay, Not good. Not one. Excellent, all right. Nothing David's going to talk about. What? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. No, nothing visible. You no, get my meaning. There wasn't anything visible. All There's, right. uh, anyway, so... Oh, AC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Machination Log for whatever day it is, the 20th. It's uh, probably September 20th, 2017, since the 20th is a little vague for a podcast. It's been a while since we've uh, done one of these. It's in been fact, since the general. It's since the general. Um, I've been tied up with a thing which will also make its way into the machination log and will hopefully be the genesis and inspiration for many other machination log things to come, including the camera that's recording this, including the uh, on-tour mics I got going David, are you going like every media company now and going to more video? Global, yes. Yeah, excellent. Global and more video. International. Well, excellent. yeah, no, it's I bought a camera. It's been driving me insane for two weeks, and I'm going to write about it. Excellent. All right. Yeah. Nothing like some inspiration. Yeah. yeah. And that, is <laughs> a little that, bit. Is, is, that the, is that the machinery over there? Uh, that is the machinery over there. Nice. Yeah, it's recording us right now. Good Lord. You could wave to it, but the odds of this video going up are very low. That's excellent. good. So. That's good. It's up to you. You could flip it off. Nicole, this is uh, the pick. movie. Yeah, yeah uh, but it's not It's not my pick. It's but not. It's Yes, yeah, so this is this Ryan. is our, our wild card that <laughs> wild Ryan picked. Wild card pick, yes. And boy, what a wild card it was. By a rare coincidence, we found ourselves lacking themes to pick movies, so I decided I'd just generate my own theme, uh, which would be awesomeness. And in the spirit of awesomeness, I picked an awesome fucking movie, if I do say so myself. Uh, I picked uh, 1981 something, uh, 1980 somethings. Uh, Al Pacino, Brian De Palma, Scarface. Let's talk about it. 
That sounds good. Ryan, what's Scarface all about? So apparently, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, this movie is about cocaine, co- cocaine, cocaine? Uh, uh, I thought it was an indictment of the Carter administration. That too, actually. There are a few things I in the 80s that weren't. I thought this was a subverted American dream, like your last movie pick. Well, good. Now we can talk about these <laughs> kinds of things and try to get them out. Uh, yeah, I no, mean, I, I don't want to... I don't want to step on anybody else's <laughs> intention with this, but I really don't care about the plot of this movie at all. No. So I kind of just want to talk about the vibe of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, your head was exploding while you were watching it. I know you don't remember any of it, but you <laughs> Oh, basically... I do. No, no, no. I don't yeah, get but... blackout drunk. Okay, yeah. but yeah, you I, were... I vividly remember every intense, awful experience I am intoxicated. exuberant about many of the themes while watching this movie, even though you missed the climactic ending it's yeah. an exuberant thing and ryan had yeah. suggested that we uh do some level of living up i don't know what your exact quote was at the end of the general when you recommended the yeah. way we should watch this but i felt that feeling scarface was at least as important as watching it yes and I yes. Think it's I, very important yes. and i think i think that worked out yes. because i i didn't literally black out but i had to go outside shall yes. we say <laughs> Right when Tony hit the top, yeah. and that was perfect because I watched the rest of the movie while I was sober later on, and I, I think that was appropriate because mm-hmm. I felt like him, <laughs> even though I couldn't see him. Like I had this I had this very specific connection to the attitude you that both he portrays. Fell at the same time, we did. Yeah. We hit yeah. the top, and yeah. then I went outside and threw up and felt like him right. until everybody left. Excellent. Which hopefully everybody got home okay because I wasn't able to say goodbye to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't all, see you. We're here. I think we're okay. Yeah, I can't account for everyone. I else mean, there, there was a hurricane afterwards, but I think we all made it through that too. Yeah, that brushed it. That brushed it under the rug as well. Oh, that's true. We have an excuse for not having a podcast. Yeah, yeah, a hurricane blew. Through. I know you guys didn't lose power, but <clears throat> some of us did. Yeah, yeah. Some had some hardships here. Yeah, yeah. Not us. Thoughts and prayers go out to uh, <laughs> you know whoever that happened to have been. Yeah, no, but they just keep coming, man. For fucking Puerto Rico now is like, you know, one hundred percent without power yeah. or emergency services. Even the powers, even the power stations, out of power. Yeah, that's that's bad. Yeah, yeah. It's rough out there. <laughs> or like if you have an emergency, they said you can call the radio station. Oh, very good. God damn. Anyway, that's twenty seventeen. Catch it. Um, yeah, no. Back to nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Well, apparently there are fewer hurricanes going on, at least. But what there is, uh, rather than Puerto Ricans. There's Cubans. Yes. Yeah. And they're coming over on boats. Lots of boats. Thanks, Carter. Yeah. What are we going to do with them all, right? Well, uh, apparently we're going to stick them under I-95 <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> and then just hope everything goes well, that they appreciate that. And it turns out that they don't. So, all right, I want to get a plot on this thing, right? So, Scarface, right? The the famous Scarface. The, that, that Scarface you're thinking of? Yes, that one. Yeah. Right? It is that movie. And... Right, I think with our first way to approach it is to get our more general thoughts about this, right? The fact that this is a pop culture phenomenon. I wouldn't call it like a cult hit. Would you guys? Because it's, it's no, like... there's there's a little bit of weirdness to it. First off, um, I want to touch on a point quickly that David said about the top hundred movies and how he wants to rewrite it. He doesn't agree with them. Scarface is not on that list, yes. and I think it should get the Godfather spot because that movie <laughs> sucks. <laughs> All right, point noted. I would, now, I need to point. rewatch The Godfather before I can support that opinion, but tentatively speaking, sure, why not? Okay. Oh, well, that, this movie, you're lucky you got a second. Because this right. movie is awesome. Yes. Yeah. No, I th- look, like, this is, this is not a great movie, but it is a fucking awesome movie, I have to say. And But there's so many intangibles with it that I think... Well, that, well that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it, it, it has an appeal 
despite the fact that there's clearly things wrong with it. You know, like like you can watch. Like I could. I never begrudge people who tell me that, like, I mean, I've never met someone, but, like, hypothetically, <laughs> there might be a person out there that I would not begrudge who would say, that fucking movie? Yeah, people think it's overrated. Yeah, like, that fucking movie? Yeah. And, I, I I mean, I, I, like I said, I've never met a person like this, but I could assume that there is a person out there, and I could, I could hear them out, you know? But... They're I, on the internet. Yeah, but my only argument to this idea that this movie somehow bathes in mediocrity, right? That it, like, just lovingly embraces it like a cheap fur coat, right? Like, to those people, I would just have to say, come on, <laughs> you know? Like, just come on. Like, what are we doing here? Like, this is a movie. Um, it is... Uh, it is I mean, this movie is raucous. And, like, in a very, in a very real way, I find this movie to be... Uh, in love with itself to a large it's, degree. I mean, it's it's overacted. It's overshot. Yes. It's ridiculously long. Yes. It's overindulgent. Yes. And but the thing is, put together, it's such it's such an excellent ride. Mm -hmm. You know, because there was a couple things when we were watching it. Like we managed to in we managed to. Uh, to take an intermission, like exactly at the point yes. in which it would be appropriate to take. And it wasn't it wasn't like we were planning this. It's just that the movie like naturally mm -hmm. you're like, no, this is a good spot. And then we yeah. and then we moved on. Like, it's long enough for it. Certainly. And the thing is the movie's very long, but not one person was complaining about length. Like well, no, it, stuff's happening it the whole rolls time. And it moves it's... and it does not drag. See, right. see, it's weird. You you talked about overacting and like overly dramatic and it's weird because it almost strikes me the other way around uh where I, I think a lot of what makes this movie work above and beyond you know the the good ba I, I think this movie actually sort of transcends the uh the so bad it's good yes. kind of thing because in particular tony montana he is one of the best not actually audience surrogates I've ever seen in a movie. Yes, excellent. He point. looks like a kid. Mm -hmm. um, he talks like everybody thinks in their head. <laughs> He's the most not actually cool person mm -hmm. I think I've ever seen in a in a movie, and it's amazing because it comes across in all of Al Pacino's acting. Um, he he clearly is thinking something more flamboyant than what is coming across on screen 95% of the time. Yes, absolutely. And you can get this every time he's about to give a monologue of some kind because you can see him psyching himself up mm -hmm. and then just saying it. And really, like, some of his lines are funny, but for the most part, they're, they're really not that great. They're just him being a badass in exactly the way everybody wishes they could be. Right. You know, throwing in throwing in his hat after mm -hmm. uh leaving the dishwasher job, demanding more money out of some thugs um for a job. Right. Um being accused of being a rat mm -hmm. and just having a comeback for like he is this movie is so fantastical. Yes. It, it without having a, it's about as fantastical as a movie can be without having magic in it given Especially in the climax of the movie when he's shot like thirty times and Cocaine's just a keeps hell of going. A drug. Yeah. yeah, so I've heard. Yeah, um, but this pre—I mean, this movie so encapsulates this. You guys talked about how this movie would explain a lot mm -hmm. when yeah. I saw it, and I—I I totally get that. Yes, yeah, like it's, it's permeated into the culture, like in so many different different ways. Well, who? Who wouldn't, especially, and again, it's specifically the scrappy, mm -hmm. still, like, adolescently minded yep. 
who doesn't want to be Tony Montana? Who right. doesn't want to be a cool killer who can get whatever he wants and even speci- almost even wants what happens to him in the end? Like, yes. even his fall is so totally like neo capitalistic well, I mean, and because, ridiculous yeah, and, and people but people don't fault him for that he's still like an iconic legend and you know he's kind of like a you know he's like kind of like a ghetto mythical character no, he's, and he's only a bad is, guy because he calls himself a bad guy yeah like that's the only reason we think of him as a bad guy in like this zeitgeisty way otherwise he's He's OG. Like, yeah. he's got yeah. all of that. He, he is totally just that vibe. And he came in at just the right time to be an icon for that as Absolutely. well. Um, well, and I think that you've, like, made the the illusion of Tony Montana, right, Al Pacino's character, Scarface, as being uh, iconic, right? It's a kind of iconic role. And yet not having any of the, you know, presuppositions of what you would actually want an icon to be. Right, it, he has no, like no, because he should be an antihero. Yes, exactly. But he is so embraced and like once, like it's not. He's given more than the benefit of the doubt, right? He's given the benefit of the presupposition and the benefit of the judgment. But <laughs> you know, like he's given like, like you're watching this movie and you're like, you know, like this guy, not a good person, right? I, I wouldn't want him in my life. No, um, you, know you know he's killed someone by the end of the first scene. Yes, yeah. and then you're like, they you know, established that very early. Yeah, and so you're like into this whole like you know into this character, and I mean once again, I mean this this film for one of its major benefits um, is the fact that it is uh, one of the most indulgent films that I can watch. Oh, just cinematically, it's yes. so indulgent. But this is, I mean, part of why I love art in particular is that, like, art is one of the very few things that you can completely indulge in, and there's not a huge, you know, like, it's not, it's not like, it can, has the potential to be hedonistic, with so few downsides on the end of it, you know? Like, there's so many things that you can indulge in to where you, where you will sooner or later regret, but watching just pure indulgent cinema is something that you can real I can really get behind, and it's just so enjoyable to like, you know, to have films to where there are no bad ideas and most of them are the right ones, right? And I think that Scarface kind of <laughs> like is like, well, couldn't we just do this and make it a little bit more X, Y, or Z? And you're thinking, you know, yeah, that that sounds good. Let's try that, you know, and more bullets. Yeah, reading like reading some of the articles and some of the interviews with some of the people around this movie. Uh, that's exactly the kind of attitude that was. Um, you know, that Brian De Palma kind of cultivated with this. Um, a lot of the really, um, you know, neat little subtleties within the performances of the characters um, are, in fact, you know, ad-libbed, right? And uh, Brian De Palma is actually pretty famous for, you know, allowing this kind of space for people to, uh, you know, inhabit, to get the feel of the film. And then I think he, I think, trusts his process and the people he's chosen within that process to express themselves within it. So, for example... Um, I know I didn't I realize this and I believe, you know, Internet world can correct me if if uh, this is wrong, uh, which I don't give a shit. But apparently um, the when uh, Tony Montana refers to uh, the cocaine that the Colombians carry after that scene, when he says the line, Chichi, Chichi, get the yale. Apparently, that is the first time Yayo has been that was used. The, that was that is where that the, is the birth <laughs> yes. of Yayo. Yeah. And like, apparently, um. You know, um, uh, Pacino uh, working with uh, working with the consultants and um, and his, and uh, his um, voice coach with this kind of like came up with this slang term for it. So this idea that like yayo is now what cocaine is known for. Apparently, uh, from my sources, this is one of like, the first times being used for this. Um, another one of the great scenes that gets mentioned by this is um, 
Al Pacino, when he's trying to seduce Elvira in the car, uh, they have this exchange and she looks away in disgust and he takes her hat and like puts it on his head and then like looks at her really, you know, almost like Harpo Marx, you know, and like kind of like boyish, mischievous expression that she has. And, you know, she looks over and sees him in this fucking hat and like, you know, like cracks up, like breaks, like, like breaks out. Um, but then, you know, composes herself and actually ad libs the rest of the scene with him. And, you know, once again, it's at a perfect it's one of those weird things where it's at a perfect moment in the film to where that character for her begins to, you know, warm up or open up to the uh, the idea of, uh, you know, Tony Montana as a character, uh, as someone in her life. And it's just those little things that come out in this film. Uh, that I think give it, because it is such a heavily stylized movie, Brian De Palma, I think, has struck this good balance of finding and allowing spontaneity and trusting in his process to allow these kinds of moments to come out to where the movie doesn't feel um, hammed up. It doesn't feel hammy. You know, it doesn't feel like they're broadwaying, if so to speak, this idea that they're going to, like, sh you know, speak to the rafters and, like, overact. I mean, the thing, like, the movie is clearly overacted. Uh, like I said, but it doesn't feel hammed up. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of ingenuineness in the performances. I think the cinematography goes a long way in explaining that. Right. Um, there is not a whole lot of creativity to the way that it's put together. There is a lot. Uh, there are plenty of close-up shots, but there are very few aggressive angles. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a whole lot of jump cutting except for during action scenes. It's, it's relatively staid, and I think that lets... Um, I think that's that lets the actors' performances actually exist without well, because being each absurd. Scene is essentially like a huge set piece that they want to. Yeah, like, they're they're at la the apartment, in. Mm -hmm. or they're at the restaurant, or you know, and they or they're uh, at a phone booth on a dock in the sunset <laughs> with yeah. nothing else around in the middle of Biscayne Bay. That. That seems pretty good. It yeah. is good. Yeah, that's a very scenic phone <laughs> But then you get, like you said, uh, Nicole, a lot of the scenes, though, right, where we get a lot of exposition, you know, there isn't a lot, like, a lot of that story element, right? When we, when characters will be spending a lot of time talking to each other, those scenes are rather subdued, right? So, like, uh, Tony Montana at his mother's place, right? That conversation, that scene is not really edited and shot in a way to kind of, like, you know, lead to some sort of climax, even though a lot of, uh, but a lot of scenes that, are meant to, like you say, delve into more action, right? Or to where, you know, movement of the camera actually becomes important, right? Those scenes are, you know, are in a sense set up and then executed in a way uh, to provide the kind of dramatic import. Um, the one scene I'm talking about, where which is subtle, because it seems like a talky scene, we're going to learn a bunch about, about characters, but is actually a scene set up for this kind of emotional climax within itself, is the first time that... Um, Tony Montana uh, meets uh, Robert Loja's character. What's his, um, the uh, the first big uh, kingpin that he works for? Frank. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. So upgrade to Frank. Yeah, when he yeah when he goes to his uh, to his uh, house or apartment to meet him for the first time, it's a house mansion. Uh, he, He's got an elevator. Yeah, it, that's the thing, right? Yeah. So we get this scene where they converse with each other, and you think the scene is about Tony's connection with Frank. Uh, and they go to sit on this like ridiculous '80s couch, you know, where like it's big the, and circular. Yeah, the and... seats like four times like longer than the back is high. You know, it's absurd. It's got a glass egg chair. Unbelievably ridiculous, and which is wonderful. And <laughs> <laughs> what else are you gonna do with that money? Yeah, and but... that was a serious problem for cocaine dealers. Was yeah, really. What to do with all that money? Either either spending or retaining. It. Yeah, no, that yeah. was that was that was a serious problem back in those times when you were dealing cocaine. Still probably is. Oh, mo money. Yeah. Mo problems. Yeah. 
So they hadn't invented that phrase yet. Uh, yeah, they had to wait till the early '90s. Yeah, that Goldman Sachs era. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still, doing, we're still. This is all. This is all so naive. You know, we're all pre-savings and loan <laughs> crisis. You know. Yeah. Like, well, this is when you could still buy out the banks to let you bring uh, your trash bags full of money in, it, and man. I think we. Reagan had not hit the scene. Yeah, this Reagan. Is, I this think is put Carter an end to that. decadence. Yeah. Yeah. This is totally different. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is the kind of decadence well, that can and, only and thrive then, well, over ineptness. Yeah, well, <laughs> and Nixon like, Nixon had made the the volume of issue because he, you know he for the drug trade he only wanted hundred dollar bills, so he got rid of like the really large bills. So that just meant that they had to bring like trash bags of money to the bank. Mm-hmm. It was it was like it was literally a volume problem, and then the bank would go, "We physically don't have room." For this money, and they have a good they have a good tip of the hat even in this movie too. That where mm-hmm. they have the they have a bunch of people carrying carpet bags mm-hmm. full of cash into the bank, or uh, it's going past the window. Yes, and the guy's just watching as oh, it all God. comes in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And with that part too. All right. So I fucking love this movie. God Fine. Damn. Oh, I do too. <sighs> um. So that little okay. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. All right. <laughs> I mean, we can go in order. No, I... if we want to do that. Only in the sense that I'd rather I'd rather us kind let's of pick like, a, let's pick a character. Uh, let's talk about Manny. Can we talk about Manny? Sure. Okay. So uh, for one thing, um, Manny is an actual Cuban American. Yeah, <laughs> he's the only one he's in the, the only whole Cuban movie. American. Everyone else in the movie is very Italian. Yeah. They were going to option someone else for the main role, and it was of course Robert De Niro. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Which would you know made it that much better. Oh, so good. So yeah, everyone's <laughs> Italian except for Manny. Um, but Manny's uh, uh, is, and I think the mom. The mom looked very Cuban. Yes, Tony's uh, she, mom, uh, Puerto Rican. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. Puerto no, Rican. Okay. I believe, Cuban. I believe. But Manny she was, was he... Latino at least. And I... also, the funny thing, uh, the actress who played Tony Montana's mom, Al Pacino's mom, was only four years older than Al Pacino. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like, yeah. Uh. And then you have Afro Abraham for some reason. And what makes Manny Manny's uh, casting there even more of a slap in the face is uh, they. They brought him in. He didn't actually have to do his audition on site. They went, oh, that guy's perfect. Mm-hmm. Funny enough. Oh. The Cuban-American plays the Cuban-American pretty well. Yeah. yeah. and his, But his character, too, is, um, you know, once again, so stylized, right? He is this he's kind the playboy. of... He's this epitome of the kind of, like, you know, swanky Latin suaveness that you can... Uh, that, you know, would expect from, you know, someone who has ambition and money... And greasy hair and tight-fitting clothing. I mean, it is like it is both a stereotype, and yet um, he is once again not played as a joke. Even though there is a lot of humor between the characters um, and the kind of contrast, because uh, Manny plays in a sense a, an interesting kind of counterpoint, uh, where you know Manny is suave. Um, you know, uh, Tony Montana kind of lacks uh, the you know the niceties, right? Um, uh, where he is good-looking uh, and tall and svelte. Uh, Montana is short and squat. And if you actually watch the film, uh, Al Pacino is shorter than every other male character that he has put up against. In fact, De Palma intentionally shoots him this way as being this kind of like undersized uh, character that moves, that is seemed at or is overcoming disadvantages at all things. It it contributes to the degree to which he looks like a kid. Yes, absolutely. And when you look at like how shots are composed, he, there is this interplay where he is consistently shorter than all the other characters within the within the frame. And it is just one of those little reminders about how this story kind of like, I think psychologically sets us up to how we kind of view this thing. And so much of this is done well, like through these juxtapositions of people within it, uh, within the frame and within the uh, within the story as well. 
Um, I love Manny, and Manny is one of the first also characters that we get introduced, and he and Scarface are, in a sense, kind of locked into the struggle from the beginning. Um, and I like to talk about Manny. Uh, you guys, anyone else like Manny, or am I the only one like who was like, Man- dude, I love that guy so Manny's much. the kind of person that I can't like in real life, and in that way that I... <laughs> hey! I know that the... Um, I know how good an actor he is by the degree to which he... You know, he he churns that um, he churns that a little bit in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching him make passes at ladies, yeah, um, which he does pretty much the entire movie. Yes, that's it's, what he is about. It's, yeah. it's a yeah. massive no, component good, of his he's character. A good, he's a good balance to the Tony character. Kind of a stereotype, absolutely. Yo, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Was he the foundation of that stereotype? Uh, I would I would probably say not. I think that. Um, <laughs> Uh, horny, svelte, semi-stylish Latino men is something that we could probably find other examples of. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I wish you'd have set it up, though. But he has some great little moments with this, like, with the, like, cringeworthiness of his ability to seduce people. Yeah. Oh, God. Or inability there, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, yeah, that's yeah. the joke, right? Where there's this, like, you know, because of his, of his poise and his mannerisms were, like, led to believe something about him, and yet the film... Sets up multiple scenarios in which he like he gets falls. rejected. Yeah, he gets yeah. Falls, on, falls on his face. It's um, even though he <clears> does follow Tony's mantra, he gets the money and the power, and then gets the woman. Oh, much unfortunately. Yeah, but he picked the wrong for woman. Him, yeah, yeah really. <laughs> the one woman, right? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. want, you can't have. There's only, you can have any woman you want except one. But that's the one I want, and it's the only one he gets. Unbelievable. <laughs> so we. <laughs> It's the worst from all sides for him. But I think what's what's but what's weird and striking about this film is that it fucking has time to like to like do this shit. You know, like in a film about Tony Montana, like we find out a lot about you know um, uh, we find out a lot about Manny. You know, like we like see him and his right his 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 mannerisms and his character is allowed to kind of come out um, in a lot of details throughout the story. And it's once again, it's not it's not clearly not the central focus. Uh, but his, you know, his values, his mannerisms, all that kind of comes out really well in the film and, 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 and I, through the story. And I do appreciate in a way that simply does not happen anymore. I understand that we had to grow to get to this point, and I kind of wish we'd scale it back. I like that they don't attempt to overhumanize his character, mm-hmm. that he is, in fact, and I'm using humanize in scare quotes there, um, he is just that stereotype. Mm-hmm. And when you see him on screen, you can be roughly confident what he's going to do well, at all times. Well, he's not times. necessarily sympathetic at all either because he he's just as cold-blooded as Tony. I mean, if Tony says shoot somebody, I mean, he doesn't yeah. doesn't blink. <laughs> yeah. Like he he's just, just goes not and as amb- He's just not as ambitious. Vicious, yeah. Yeah, well their 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 loyalty to each each other is assumed and then exp- and then never really explained. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, I think that when if I think for like De Palma and even for Oliver Stone. Oh, by the way, this movie's written by Oliver Stone. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah, just throw throw that little tidbit out there. While expressly not on cocaine. Yeah, apparently yeah, apparently that was a, a problem for him, yeah. from what I understand <laughs> as well during this time period. So there's nothing like, you know, writing a film about the very demons you're facing at that moment. Um I'm sure it was very therapeutic absolutely. for him. <laughs> He's like he took all those fever dreams that he had in cocaine-filled days and, like, just put them all on a script and wrote it down for mm. us. Thank God. So, um, uh, but Manny is involved in some of my favorite scenes. And in particular for me, um, I, while I like this movie as a whole, uh, this movie really has two sequences in it 
uh, that I think are absolutely brilliant. And um, you guys will probably guess what they are, but um, they occur within the first uh, hour of the film. And um, this is something, you know, when I first watched this movie, uh, you know, we were um, chemically enhanced and watching this film. Uh, and these things just burned themselves into my mind. It um, <laughs> They uh, became something that I... Uh, thought about that I've uh, that I've analyzed that I have spent a lot of time thinking about why I was so affected by them and I find them in, in just incredibly enjoyable to watch and uh, I enjoy them every time um, the first of these scenes is the um, uh, assassination sequence um, of the Rabenga hit in the, uh, in the refugee camps under the under the overpasses that uh, riot assassination scene I find totally fucking great like it is it is one of my top five sequences in film uh of all time and uh have you, so um what i want to ask david is that uh were you uh, did you find that scene as uh you know is that high up on your list did you find that impactful at all did you to fill out the rest of the sentence it's a great fucking scene so yeah. there's <laughs> the whole color temperature of the scene mm -hmm. is it's it's like in the 2000 Kelvin range. It's like almost red. Yes. Um, there are beds and feathers yeah. flying up behind Manny. Like yes. this is this is also easily Manny's most badass scene. Yes, exactly. He's just yeah. he's just walking Terminator style. Yeah. Following Rabenga, he knows he's gonna get him. He's not worried about yes. it. Yes. And in the background, there is the the equivalent of fire is down feathers yes. from these beds. Mm -hmm. um, and that effect is really cool. It's mm -hmm. a little funny. It's a little hokey at the front because people are pretending to destroy stuff but can't destroy it because they're because Manny hasn't passed them yet. Like, yeah. Manny's the line of destruction. Yes. And they're, like, feigning to hit the bed <laughs> with these two-by-fours, and that's a little hokey. But everything prior to that is... It's a really good facsimile of the effect of explosions going off in the background. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 such a kinetic environment in which the scene is established for the riot, and then you go into you go you go from this exterior riot, and it's it's this you know these panning shots, right, showing um, showing the sequence moving forward. We go from exterior to interior of a tent where there's fires, mattresses, people in close you know banging shit around, and you're, you're like you're absolutely right. I think you know for me it's. It's one of those things in cinema when you see violence portrayed, it's usually good to kind of like, you know, macro out your vision a little bit rather than like, you know, focusing on individual things that aren't kind of like the focus. So you see like if you peer at Manny, you see this, like you said, this just this cacophony of motion happening within these scenes and these colors moving uh, rather quickly. And the tension of the scene uh, is so excellently crafted in terms of both the shot sequence, the editing, um, and then, of course, the sound and, and use of music, which is first initially uh, subdued, but then steadily rises. Um, and like all good intent scenes, uh, Rabenga, as he's making his way out of the tent, finds himself or sees, you know, the light outside that he is heading towards. And it's almost like he might get away from it. We know he won't. Right. But and then, of course, he gets out. Um, he gets stabbed by Tony. And then yeah, Tony cuts him off. Yeah, just yeah. just catches him at the exit. Uh, and and Jack and and shivs him. I guess shivs, yeah, him. shivs him a couple times uh, in the abdomen, them. and then um, and then the guy slowly, <laughs> slowly meanders, walks down, falls down, and then you know rolls over in this just ridiculous pose um, in the middle of this fucking riot that's happening around him. I mean, it is, it is, so goddamn good. And what's also fun too is that the film 
continues that it's like it doesn't stop it right off right the whole context for the for the the assassination is the fact that the people in the refugee camp are rioting based on their conditions and so the immediate scene after he dies is the kind of craziness at the immigration office when they're getting their uh their papers so we get this really cool transition to kind of cool down from yeah, it yeah cuz right? that was their their gift for doing this was that they would get papers yep. to get out of the refugee camp yeah so it's 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 so well executed in the like the build-up and then the execution and then you know on this like the way in which it kind of resolves itself and tr and tries to carry over some of that uh energy that that chaos and energy from the initial scene in the riot it's it, like i said you can probably tell i fucking love love this scene it is <laughs> like once again stylized to a fucking hilt and um, you know the the unnecessary use of overhead shots. You know I'm always a fan of. You know like oh, I yeah. love I love a good unnecessary overhead shot. Don't. And those were way harder before drones. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, fucking drones. Yeah, <laughs> this is craned in, motherfucker, on an actual film camera. No playing around here, right? Shot number two. Yeah, you had to want to do this. Oh well, it's <sighs> sequence number two. My absolute second favorite sequence, and it is a close <laughs> second. <laughs> is the Colombians and Chainsaw scene. This fucking scene is incredibly well done. Um, I was amazed, you know, I've seen this movie a handful of times, but um, I was amazed at how just Hitchcockian yes. that scene is, from, like, the tension and the setup to the way the camera moves out of the hotel mm -hmm. to the getaway car and... I, it never like identified just like how Hitchcockian that whole scene goes down. Now De Palma uses that interior exterior spaces, uh, and he you know to juxtapose those those and also to kind of, once again the idea that like you know I you mentioned Hitchcockian right? Yeah. And one of the big themes within Hitchcock is uh, voyeurism, right? Mm -hmm. Is what is happening behind what we can't see. And you know, Hitchcock. And this scene plays oh, with that Holy so shit. well. Looking out the window. <laughs> oh, baby. Well, even just the chaos that's going on inside, and then like how no one else, like right outside that room, is even aware of what's going on, including the people that are supposed to be aware of yep. what's going on. Well, and then it, I mean, what, what triggers off because there's supposed to be an exchange of drugs between the Colombians who are in the hotel room and Montana, who's there to you know Bring barter, money. yeah, barter yeah. the trade. Um, Right, the whole fucking thing is that once again is them being taken by surprise. Right, the uh, the exterior coming in on the interior. There's several layers to that scene that that where the the outside is imposing on the inside, and it just, I mean, it just is one thing after another. I mean, that's where we get the yayo scene. Um, there's this great thing where they have this fucking back and forth between like, you know, you got the stuff, and he's like, you got the money, and he's like, I don't got it with me, and he's like, I don't have it with me either, and then he's like. All right, we want me to come back in and we fucking do this again. You know, like it's just yeah. No, like, every everything about it seems entirely suspicious. There is yes. there's there's no reason to believe this is going to go well. Mm -hmm. I mean, even there's there's a lady sitting on the bed, like not very uncomfortably yeah. lounged yes. on these pillows. Like I, it was obvious what she was doing the first time yeah. I saw them. Like I knew what her role in the scene was absolutely um, right from the beginning. Uh, my favorite part of the scene um, actually doesn't. It, it's not the uh, the psycho bathroom moment. It is the um, it's how we know it's the moment when foul play begins. Um, it's not a person. It's just 
a gun yes. mm-hmm. coming up from the bottom mm-hmm. of the scene. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which is just a great little reveal. It's like a peekaboo, yep. something's wrong <laughs> kind of thing. Well, and once again, it's he, De Palma doesn't overemphasize that moment, right? He allows the visual to clue, clue in. Yeah. And the music and sound only reacts to the scene afterwards as well, right? So rather than no, you have to pick up on it yourself. Yeah, exactly. And but it's these, it's these, it's finessed in a in a very cool way that is once again. I mean, this movie. I mean, the fact that it kind of the the fact that it's so eighties, <laughs> uh, but then the fact that it has this that that it seemingly has such a lowbrow approach to it, right? Like this thing is just. I mean. You know, you're not finding. I should say for one thing, critics critics fucking hated this movie, right? Like it was. Um, there, Except for Roger Ebert. Yes. Oh, Roger Roger Ebert, badass movie critic. All right, let's gonna say badass movie critic. OG Roger Ebert, fucking OG. All right. Um, <laughs> he loves Herzog, so yeah. I can't fault him. But um, like the Hollywood premiere of this film, fucking did not go well. Um, a lot well, of the I think stories it's, you hear. It's almost like it's too soon because it's looking back. I mean, talk about a distillation of like the 80s, but like it was almost, it would probably be like too much. It'd be like, oh yeah, like you're just making fun of like us now. But when you go back, you're like, it's it's such a pure version of, of like Fair? everything the 80s wanted to be mm-hmm. because Cobra was a shitty example of how this movie went wrong. There's yeah. there's a scene where <laughs> Al Pacino is sitting at a table near a beach where Sylvester Stallone could have stunt doubled for him. Right. He looked exa- exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Just, the music in this movie was the music that Cobra wanted but couldn't afford. Which is also not good at all, mm-hmm. um, except for maybe no, but one that, song. But that is the best of... The '80s, like you don't get bigger than Giorgio Moroder out of the disco <laughs> era. Like Look, that's that was the Slim best Pickens. '80s music yeah. money but, could buy. Yeah, no. So apparently, in 2003, when this was going for the big special, you know, when this was going to go on DVD, um, apparently the uh, the studio asked uh, Brian De Palma to uh, authorize a version that would use updated hip hop music. Uh, you know, to because like they've connect, said, they've culturally c- connect appropriated to that appropriation. This movie so and much. Brian De Palma told him to fuck off because he knows what fucking good disco music is supposed to sound like. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, and that's okay. They'll put hip hop in the new remake of it that's coming out next year. Yes. Yeah. Oh, how sad. Oh, this is depressing. Written by the Coen Brothers. I do, I will see that movie. But this is the thing. So I mean, uh, one thing. So Scarface is based on a 1932 production, uh, Howard Hawks production. Um, well, okay. So was the original considered a gangster or film noir? Because I one felt of the first. I uh, both gangster. Gangster. Okay. Yeah. Because um, that was another thing. Upon what you know, rewatching this again after all these years, was I picked up on so many different film noir elements yes. through it. Like uh, you know, I can touch on that later. But. Um, you know, like stuff with the clothes and stuff like that that I had never like really picked up on before. There's some I think I think that this would you know, this could kind of fall into that category of these of, of neo noirs that kind of okay, come out of this yeah, time period. I, like I, you know, I your body feel, heats and stuff like that's it. I, I feel like it has a bit of a, a noir at least flavor to it. Well, it, there was just a, I think there's a, there's a, several sequences of films that kind of come out and I mean ironically enough they're all they're, they're, some of them are most of them in Florida, where there is this like steamy you know, hot kind of approach to the thing, and uh, like, but like Body Heat would be the most in- initial comparison, where there's not this kind of, you know, expressionistic 
interplay between light and shadow that we would see in like a classic kind of film noir. And yet, you know, but compositionally. He does it, but he does, um, it, he does it with cute things. Like he does it with his clothes. Like Tony Montana wears white mm -hmm. right into the intermission when he takes over Frank's position and becomes the head guy. Yeah. And then all of his suits are black yep, moving yep. forward. Like, so there are like elements mm -hmm. in it, even though... Um, I guess it'd be considered more of a gangster than a noir no, I, film. No, I would. Uh, the original Scarface is is gangster, right? Okay. Absolutely gangster. James Cagney films. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think this. Um, this uh, you know, at least almost five to eight years before uh, Maltese Falcon, which is okay. you know kind of like the the classic initiator of the film noir uh, that's genre. Such a talkie. Yeah, and that's but once again, <laughs> even then, you know, it it's is all dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> um. But no, uh, the remake Scarface that we're talking about, right? The Brian De Palma version. I would absolutely put it in more, it leaning towards more film noir. Okay. Primarily because of you know stylized use of the camera. Um, you know the themes of it. I think more are relatable to film noir than classic gangster films. Anyway. Okay. Um, you know, I just the, I the rise, I felt the fall, it, yeah, it, the, the it femme felt, fatale. It felt very neo noir. Yeah. To no, the me rise, the fall, this the time femme around. fatale. It's all there. Yeah. I love it. Fucking love this movie. God damn, I love this movie. And then there's so many like good lines and good you know values in this film. <laughs> like this is where we got "Don't get high off your own supply," which is excellent, excellent advice, and right. has been you know repeated on in you know perpetuity since absolutely since then. And then there's the uh, the the line at the beginning when he yeah when he plays out like you know what path he needs to go because first you need you the money. Gotta make the money yeah. first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then we get the power. Then, then you get the woman. I don't know. Have we gotten to like the downfall yet? Because there's a lot. We're still like we're still kind of going up, but yeah. there's like some some good stuff on the come down too. Okay, sure. Well, all right. So I got one of, the, one of the, my favorite phrases is um, "All I have in this all world. I have in this world is my balls and my word, and I don't break them for nobody." Yeah. <laughs> oh God damn it! Oh, like um, yeah, that's good stuff, man. Yeah, that's a good line. God damn it! So, but this. But the thing, I mean, once again, it's 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 like the attitude and the way in which it's presented. I mean, I mean, you've 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 probably known people who have taken on bad impersonations of this film from time to time. Maybe after a couple Coronas or something like that, you know. But I mean, but really, that's the thing. Like this movie is is fun to appropriate. Yeah. I mean, it is it like you know, do you want to talk like this? You know, like you just like throw <laughs> Man, it in there. Do this piece of yeah, shit. Yeah. You know, like I mean, like. It's like it's just fun. And I mean, part of that, once again, I think comes across because like, I mean, it it would be fun to make this movie. Like, I mean, there there is not a lot of downside. I mean, you could just like you said, like, you know, to be that version of something that you've always wanted to be like. This, oh, this is right up Clint Eastwood's alley. Yeah, oh, God almighty. You know, like there's just so much that comes from this like type of filmmaking that like I think once again, like, you know. Like Clint Eastwood, I think it, I think describing him as indulgent kind of works, right? And I think yeah. that this kind of fucking falls into that. But um, regardless, so Tony Montana. Also, oh, ahead, actually, yeah. no. I guess there's a great parallel there because uh, Clint Eastwood uh, casts himself in the star role in all his movies, and this remake got made because Al Pacino watched the first one and went, "I want to do that." <laughs> so, so there's actually totally a parallel there. Awesome. I feel like Al Pacino pulls it off better than Clint Eastwood, but that's a fight for another time. No, I'd say, I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say okay. so. 
Then so, never mind. That fight's over. Clint okay. Eastwood sucks. Yeah. No. Uh, well, just a comparison to Scarface. I mean, look, it's a high <laughs> fucking bar to pass. All right. That's all I'm saying. Um, you said this is getting remade? Uh, yes. Okay. Any Next idea? year. When you, uh, so it's written by the Coen brothers. Anyone know what's going on with I, it? Or? Nothing else. Ah, okay. Are you, are That's you also serious? still hearsay. Are you, I was going to say, are you serious? Because if it's written by the Coen brothers, it's going to be a totally out of left field. Yeah, I don't Probably. Just, you know, not everything's a hit, you know? Like, I mean, I, I would... I mean, It's not directed by them, yeah, which that's, that's, that's problematic. Yeah, that's not the problem. Um, since, mm. I mean, there's there's some good lines in Coen Brothers movies, but a lot of it has to do with the camera. I would be really disappointed because I don't think they've done enough cocaine to write a remake Scarface. But, I mean, they might just surprise us, you know, and he's like... They might know, take it back to the gangster... That's true and too, like yeah. and like yeah, uh, phase out the the cocaine part too. I mean, they could go a totally different direction with yeah. it. They don't have to cover the you know story of the rise of a Cuban refugee. All right, they can transfer that to some other character. Well, it's just weird because normally when you think about like a remake, you want to see right what was done wrong. And that's why I don't understand do why, why don't they remake shitty movies better? Why do they take good movies and try to remake yeah, them? That's, it that's, doesn't make the, sense. The classic remake problem. Well, I, I mean, the the obvious answer to that is that you need the name recognition to get the movie made in the first place. But unbelievable. Yeah, like uh, Spider Man. They've rem- and there's more Punishers coming out. There's been like eight yeah, of those. There have. Yeah. I've walked out of the theater and at least one of them. I I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares about the Punisher? I don't know, but they terrible, keep rebooting it. Terrible costume, right? Uninteresting story based on vengeance, right? Punisher is the asshole's Batman. Like, what is? What are we yeah. doing here? Yeah, that's why the only Punisher that I have enjoyed is Punisher Warzone, uh, which was directed by a woman. So it's basically a an interpretation of what, what guys, guys would guys like want? in a movie like that, oh. and. I find that to be much more entertaining. No, absolutely. I, no, I think women should be directing more hyper masculine films. Like, yeah, I think. But this is weird, it's like, supposed to be a caricature. No, get it, someone who doesn't understand it to do it. That makes perfect sense. Well, no, I think you get someone who. Well, then can spends, will they will they stop having girls like me act like they can like beat up everybody because that's not true. Are <laughs> or, or guys doing that? What? everybody's in on that everybody likes a badass chick but listen like when shit hits the fan like i want some burly guy taking people out like you don't want someone my size doing taekwondo kicks it's a fantasy no the last the last decade has (laughs) almost completed the transformation of turning all women into men we're almost there okay as someone who trains in combat sports it's so bullshit because listen i'm the only girl in my combat sports class Almost every fucking class. Like, <laughs> girls can't do this shit. Where are the kick-ass women? That's They're all not, gonna... there's not that many of them. They're all in Hollywood. It's all in their head. <laughs> but, no, but I think... Like, <laughs> Los Angeles is the nexus of manly women. No, it's just, like... So, talking about Scarface, right? Like, the 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 perspective on this film is clearly from... Right? It's, it's someone who is not of this... Right, it's like why? What? Okay, right? that's that's. I wanted to start getting into that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's like it's. But it's why Michael Bay films are not all that good, right? Because he clearly fucking once loves lives this type of mentality. I'm not saying he hasn't, you know, maybe you know hit a double in his life or something, you know. But like, you know, Armageddon. But 
Yeah. I think that once again, there there, there should be something. To, I think there. Excuse me. I think there is something to the fact that when someone is kind of like observed and seen the from the outside uh, what these things are, the values are trying to progress, pro, uh, project. Um, you know, to stylize the mannerisms and 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 cliches uh, that come with it. I think that's when you can begin to put them together to have the most fun with a film, right? When you can play fast and loose with these things and, you know, to not take, I mean, in a sense, to not take it so seriously. Yeah. And that's what I think. That's what I think, right? Like, I, well, you know, Michael Bay certainly can't do that. No. And that's, and that's what yeah. the problem is where this film, like I said, while being indulgent, has a fucking, uh, a lightness to, in the touch of it, um, that where it can, you know, when it And wants, it also has like, like I said, it has like a flow and a pace and it it just it's a river but it, that's what i mean though like it's... like it works like it's it's easy to fucking watch yep yeah well tony uh-huh. tony doesn't have a grand objective no tony tony is just trying to get ahead mm-hmm. in the vaguest possible no, this sense is, this is the american dream because he is you know he's the refugee and drugs is obviously a quick way to get money which many people in lower socioeconomic uh situations have discovered you know moving forward as well you know but there's so so when tony becomes kingpin and you know the costume changes to black and he's with elvira at this point that's when like all good nights of doing cocaine (laughs) there is a come down off this and and, it runs out yeah and there's a a great scene i think it's a it's one of the scenes at the club when they're having dinner and Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Elvira, she's telling Tony, she's like, you know, you're a loser. I'm a loser. Like we're, we're really just losers. Like this is all a facade and we're going to be losers in the end because that's where we started. And that's, that's where we're going to end up. Right. And she was correct. Yeah. Because it was a hard fall. A little bit, a little bit. (laughs) I mean, Tony's not built for stability. That much is clear. <laughs> yeah, so. he's not. He's not. Uh, not a marathon runner. Yeah. Yeah. Tony's a sprinter. I mean, and that is exactly what Elvira wanted. I mean, a lot of what makes Elvira consider what they're doing losing behavior is its stagnation. She compl- Every time she complains about something, it is in the nature of it being a bore. Uh, Frank always goes to the Babylon Club. Mm-hmm. Um, the car. The cars come up over and over. You know, again. and she doesn't have anything to do with her time either. I mean, she basically no. Sits she wants someone else to give her something looks to do. Pretty. Yeah. That's all she has going for her. Yeah. No. If um, and she's had a lot more time to internalize if, that. If the cheap interior of a mansion could talk, right? It would. It would express Elvira's viewpoint on things, right? Like it would. You know, she, like. The, everything she comments is about how like the environment she's in is like is like it was what's happening in that environment. I mean, I mean one of, my, one of the best. I mean one of the most observant and you know once when you see the film or you know if you're observant enough your first time through it, um, one of the one of the best lines in the film is when he's made it mm-hmm. and he's in the the big uh, floor uh, for the one, jacuzzi the, scene. The, the, the jacuzzi. He's just in a jacuzzi. The jacuzzi is lowered into the floor. It's fucking brilliant. The jacuzzi is like four times the size of a regular jacuzzi, yes. but it's, it's, in, just, a, it's, it's in his pool. bedroom. Yeah, he, yeah, he's alone in this thing. Like, I, I'd imagine there's like a thing that like comes across, like it's like it just like seals up, you know, and you don't want it. Um, but he's in there and he's he's watching TV and he's he's bitching about what he's seeing on TV. 
and she's painting her nails in the background, and she says, Can't you stop saying fuck all the time? This movie, up until, uh, <laughs> up until, I think it was uh, Tarantino, um, had the in record. Any film? Yeah, had the record for the most fucks in a movie. It was over 200. Yeah, over 200 fucks, which uh, apparently and it averages was by, out. By a lot, yes. it was the winner. Yeah, I by, mean, it, by, by hundreds, yes. it was the most. Because it, the MPAA had a field day with this movie. Yes. It was X-rated up through its release. And they edited it, I think, five times. De Palma threatened to quit. Yes. Because he didn't want to keep editing the film. Oh. To try to get it an R rating. And so, in the end, you I'm know. I'm glad they didn't compromise much in the end. No. Uh, no. Okay, so this is the good story. So there's a little addendum to that story. Um, apparently, uh, they, in the last hearing before De Palma quit, he had like DEA agents and people like that come in and testify that the film was in fact an anti-drug message film in order to convince them to give, to give, because every, every version he cut, they still gave an X rating to. And so they had to bring in people that says, no, this is an anti-drug film and it would be good if more, if more people saw this film. Yeah. And so finally they gave it the R rating. Uh, but apparently Brian De Palma, in realizing the ignorance of studio executives who are probably also uh, on cocaine, yeah. uh, realized that he could probably, and in fact did, submit the original version of the film for, for printing that got the uh, initial X uh, rating. And apparently this came out only um, several years later. That with The original version, the theatrical version, is not in fact the cut version, but the original X rated version. Uh, of the film, so I hope that's true. I don't know if it's true or not, um, but I did hard read to it. verify. I, well, I, I read it in a credible magazine. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, okay, excellent. Oh, but once again, um, that scene with Elvira in there, right? Like, com- do you have to say fuck all the time? And he's like, <laughs> "What the fuck do you mean?" You know, like once again, so self-aware, right? So fucking, you know, nuanced or in on the joke, so to speak, and yeah. you know, like that's. That's just good shit right there. I mean, come, like, <laughs> you get to know this film a lot, and you can, like, see how it, this film knows itself, right? And I think that's what's kind of, yep. to me, this thing just has, once again, it is lowbrow, but it, it is it is highly, highly intricate and well done. Um, so he's uh, he's a kingpin. Yes. Right? He's doing all right He's wearing suits now. Yeah, he's wearing suits. He's got the girl. Black suits. Got the power, got the money. He's got, he's got it all. The world, know, there's some, there's... The world, if you will, is, is his. Yes. Um, well, that was the major scene I wanted to bring up was the dinner was the dinner scene when she talks about the how bad them, guy scene. Yeah, well, she, where, where she talks about how they're both they're both losers because they're both. I mean, even though they're living this huge big kingpin style, like you know, he he got what he wanted. He got like everything he wanted, yeah. but it's 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 in fact never going to be enough because it's not. It's barely even real to a certain extent because it can't because it can't last like it's not a sustainable business model (laughs) (laughs) in any way, shape or form. Uh, um, I I mean, it is funny. Like that is that is certainly one way to look at it. He's certainly in the he's in the crime wave. And as a wave suggests, there's an ebb and a flow to that. mm -hmm. But there's like um, I said, and with all good nights of cocaine, there's mm -hmm. always a come down. It runs out eventually. Yeah. But it is funny watching that scene fold out unfold because it. It is almost like deja vu to me because I've been sitting at tables with people. I know several people who, while they don't quite have Tony Montana levels of money, they have enough money to behave like him. 
and have been at dinner parties with these people, and they're not saying these things, but it feels like they're thinking it really hard. Like, just this this attitude. And it's funny because, you know, whether this movie is anti-drug or not is hard to say. The money, the drugs, for, I from what I can unimportant. tell. Yeah. Well, I find Well, and moreover, the drugs are clearly empowering the money. So if the money is good, the drugs are good. Yes. I mean, there's, there's an A to B. But... <laughs> But the money doesn't flawless, flawless logic. But the there. money doesn't really seem to be good. Like I, there is this movie seems to be thoroughly anti-capitalistic by the time it's over. I mean, Tony is completely he's turned inside out by this. He's wasting twelve percent of his take, making sure no one's taking. This his is shit. the problem because he's in. Well, and then uh, yeah, I, I did make a note about the paranoia because that is also a part of doing too much cocaine is the paranoia. But there's there there's a problem. Like I said, his his wealth is not sustainable because even the money that he's making, it's yeah, it costs him so much to manage and to be able to use that money I that mean, it. That loser, that, that loser scene emblemizes the fact that he doesn't he doesn't have a life. No. He has, like, no life at all. He manages that job. Mm-hmm. He goes to an expensive restaurant, probably just like Frank. He found one he likes, and he just goes there. Yeah. For a, which, also, with the people that I'm familiar with, they do the same. Any, they're, um... Like, this is, this is just a pattern that he has fallen into. And again, this is the point at which... I went outside, and uh, I do. Re- I vaguely remember having come back inside and seeing part of these scenes, but it was in exactly the right kind of haze yes. that Tony is clearly in for these scenes, where his his life is just passing by him. Mm-hmm. Like he's no longer he he's sort of going up, but not really. No, he's, and the, he's I mean, already, he lives he lives in a constant state of fear. He's he's already filthy rich. He he could be more filthy rich, but the adjectives are not changing anymore. Like he started out as a refugee, and mm-hmm. he's had this meteoric rise, which I still fucking hate that term, but mm-hmm. I used it there on accident. Um, meteors <laughs> don't go up. But anyway, the um, it's he's at the quote-unquote top, and there's really only one character above him at this point, uh, and that's Sosa. Sosa's pretty mm-hmm. much all there is. Um, but he needs Sosa for business reasons, and uh, yeah, he... Reasons. Yeah. And it turns out that that's the that's the palm or uh, that's the gem he can't actually that's where his grasp and his reach don't line up anymore is he tries to take out Sosa kind of half-heartedly but he's coked up and shit we'll get to that in a minute um but while he's in the middle of being at a point of capitalistic decadence where he's achieved the American dream to the extent that that makes any reasonable physical sense I, he's just he he's a dazed loser no yeah. he's he's does not have an enjoyable life yeah his life, his his life is worse than it was at many rungs below this one. No, he is he is the dog that caught the car. Yeah, you know, like he has no, he has achieved success, and that's it. What 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 is that? It. It's a car. All right. Yeah. This is how it is now. You can only draw. You, fuck. I screwed up that line. Anyway, so. We'll just bulldoze straight through that because I don't feel like trying to say it again in case I fuck it up again. But bad things can't last forever, can they, class? Uh, we'll find out. Okay. Um, but in this movie, absolutely not. All right. Yeah. Uh, so there's a great psychotic scene where he shows his morals uh, in the midst of an assassination. Um, yeah. Oh. 
Okay. I found that scene to be very Hitchcockian too, oh, yeah. with the car, yeah. the car following and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that scene's hilarious. I, yes. I, I've always that scene's always stood out to me. I've always really liked that scene. <laughs> it's no, so it, neurotic. Oh, absolutely. And but like, like the the um, Tony muttering like the whole sequence yeah. of the thing, <laughs> so like, like 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 who's he talking to? Fuck it. Okay. I, no, no. Who knows? N- nobody. Right? Because the guy doesn't speak English. Like, Chill. You think I killed two kids and a woman? Fuck that. I don't need that shit in my life. It happens. It's amazing. It's it's like. It, it's actually extremely reminiscent of the scene from uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Where I shot Martin in the face. <laughs> like, it's, it totally has that vibe of just being like, whoa, why the fuck did that just... Yep. Like, that shouldn't have happened. And yet, here we are. Yeah, here, here, we are. are. <laughs> here we fucking are. Oh, my God. It's just, like... But once, like, the, the editing, cutting of that scene, that's that's, that's a scene it's that's... so good. Yeah, it's a lot about cutting. Um Setting and up it's that a, tension. Well, yeah, it build, it's, it's a lot of just building tension. And uh, and once again, it's a great, it's Both an absolute inside great inside the vehicle and outside to the unassuming world. Yep. <laughs> but it's just it's just those those themes and that technique that I think is so well thought out and well done. Uh, because it's, I mean, it's one it's one of those things where I don't think like you know De Palma gets enough credit because I mean Brian De Palma has. You know, it is not the the most magnificent of achievements in terms of his, you know, of, of what he's done. And I think that uh, Scarface is, I think, for me at least, my favorite movie that he has done. It contains his best moments, his best ideas. And uh, he mentioned Hitchcockian, and it's that's clearly an influence that he has within that. Um, and it's in even watching his other, you know, films that are less... You know, well, stuff like Snake Eyes has a lot of that kind of noir absolutely. tension building with the different camera angles mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, it's not nearly the caliber of film that this is, but it, you know those those techniques are employed. Yeah, and it relies on a lot of the same, you know, the stylism, the overacting, the uh, the you know the kind of hedonism that this film yeah. kind of brings to the table. Um, you know, it's that's that's in a more confined area. Yeah, and with Nicolas Cage, it should be mentioned too. So. <laughs> you know, I think the Scarface. Uh, this is an allusion to a very, very classic uh, movie crew review. Um, one of our favorite characters, and certainly my favorite uh, James Franco role of all time, talks about having Scarface on repeat. And <laughs> okay, this so that is exactly why I was saying you can't taint, you can't let like that appropriation of this movie taint. The brilliance yeah. of the movie in and of itself. I just, but the idea of having Scarface on is like a picture on your wall, just mm-hmm. like the scenes going by. It's not like having a superhero movie on. It's not that it's flashy. It's that at any time you can have the sound off and you can just like mouth the words with yes. them. Yeah. yeah. You can like, be, you can just sort of like temporarily embody the bad acidness of whatever's happens to be going on Another on the bueno, scene. Another me again. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, and this scene, almost every scene in this movie is one of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's got to be seventy percent. Uh, it's got to be seventy percent something where you can, you know, you can puff up your chest yeah, and be yep. be a fucking badass for a minute. So say good night to the bad guy. Which I guess falls into the fact that this is a little noirish. It's there is action in this movie, but it's relatively compartmentalized. There's scenes where there's shooting going on, and then there's 
a lot of scenes where there's not shooting going on, where right. there is just like di- there's aggressive dialogue, but it's just it's dialogue, it's power dynamics. No, I mean the only scene that's I think really like a traditional action scene, especially in its very eighties, is the very end scene because it has that very eighties where you have oh, it's like fucking a commando. million commando. Yeah. yeah, it's it's commando. <laughs> um, you know, and that but that's that's the only uh, of the the action scenes i think that's the only one that's like really an action movie i think all of them handle the action way more uh in like a noir Mm -hmm. suspense style you know barring the very last shebang yeah all right well even that one has a you know a kind of great juxtaposition because the 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 way it's creeping up behind him the lead up to once again from the exterior into the interior right It, it has this but then uh, that scene is also climaxed by the kind of just, you know, bizarrely Freudian um, end to his and his sister's relationship, right? Yeah. And so that is that is the initiation into the his final come down, right? Where it all the fucking you know like Samson, you know, it's all coming down, you know, like yeah. around him, and um, no one's gonna get out from uh, a you know his his fall, right? Everyone, every everyone, everything will fall with Tony. And in that sense, too, there is, um, you know, really no redeeming lessons to be taken from this fucking thing. That's why and I think it's so funny that it's such it. a strong mythology for people. Well, and that's like yeah. people like Alien, like that's that is their dream. Like Tony's <laughs> dream is their dream. And it's I mean, it's not a great dream. No, apparently not. Um, no, I hate to I hate to remind people of this, but um, Tony loses in the end. Yeah, a but, little bit. But that's not, like, that's what I mean. But the people who mythologize, like, I don't know if they just assume that that's just part and parcel with it because they don't seem to be affected by the fact that Tony is just a loser that yeah, loses on, in the on, end. Are are they perhaps mistaking? Because, you, David, you had a point about this earlier, I think, watching it. Thank you. Um, yeah, indeed. The use of, uh, you know, in a sense, uh, uh, text or, or cards to explain certain sequences in the film. Uh, do you think that maybe, you know, stupider people perhaps mistook that this was, in fact, <clears throat> based on a true story? I think that you could make that, especially with the way it opens. Yeah, because it's, it's got, got that feel. It's got the, the you it's know, got that like bio epic feel like know, in the beginning. Yeah, it's got the, you know, you can imagine Stallone. Yeah, you can imagine yeah. Stallone narrating the opening scenes and. You know, it's because it's ba- you know there are true events within it, but it doesn't doesn't say based. On, so I mean, do you think maybe that you know, like they felt like if I am Scarface enough in my I life, I will be eulogized. I think it's a short sightedness because, like <laughs> I said, everybody loves the up, but nobody. It's it like I said, it's like doing cocaine. Everyone loves the up. Like going up is great. Everyone loves it. Everyone wants to be there, but nobody talks about the come down like it's just like a short-sightedness i think this isn't even the only time this happened in this era where the entirety of the attachment to a film was as a result i almost precisely took the wrong message and it was extremely pro-capitalistic and that was gordon gecko yeah yeah Yeah. and that's been ruining us since yeah Yeah, Gordon Gecko, the villain of that piece. Yeah, right? yeah, the villain of the film. Yeah, yeah. I want to be that guy, and in many ways, the villain of this movie yes. is exactly the same way. Yeah, I mean, no, it's just yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's a short sightedness that comes with ambition, maybe. 
Well, yeah, but it's well, you just you want it. Yeah, you just want it. That's and what this I person, mean. this person has it, and they're relatable enough. You know, Gordon Gecko is just a fucking aging banker-looking dude. There are plenty of them to go around. Tony Montana is any dishwasher anywhere. Any lower socioeconomic. Uh, he, he looks yeah, like he, he looks like a scrappy kid. Yeah. yeah. He is incredibly relate. He is the Luke Skywalker of drugs. Horatio Algeron. No, I know. That's why I keep saying it. there's a mythology that's probably just as strong as Star Wars that goes with Tony Montana. You yeah. know, and you know, like I guess Luke Skywalker is a more positive role model. But <laughs> you know, if you're a barely, <laughs> barely. No, I, well, are we gonna have to investigate that? No, nah, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just <laughs> okay. saying though. But Bucket you know, fucks his sister. All right, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, Look, sorry. bring incest wait, back. Wait, yeah, yeah, wait. That's that's like the thing in all of this stuff. Tony probably would have fucked his sister by the end of Yeah, no, I know. I'm, I mean, yeah, yeah. No. So, I'm not, the, the corollaries are there. No, uh, that's what I'm 2017 saying. 2017 is the year of incest. <laughs> yeah. But that's, like I said, this is this is just, you know, this is this is Star Wars for, you know, people that did not grow up in white suburban neighborhoods. Excellent, okay. Maybe. It is. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I can't vouch is. for that, so, yeah. From what What's I can this? see, it, it is. 77, a new home? Yeah. Yeah, well, this, yeah. this works. That fits. Yeah, so if you grew up in the ghetto, this is your Star Wars. <laughs> this is your new hope. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I've pretty much thought this for the last decade. I've just never voiced this opinion. But yeah, this is, this is your Star Wars. <sighs> oh, good stuff. So. <clears throat> so what's the episode one? Of the Scarface oh, yeah. canon. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm not saying that this is I'm, franchise wise. There's there are two different things. I'm yeah. talking about the myth theory at the base of them. Yeah, All this right. is the um, who's that uh, hero of a thousand faces? Is this Joseph Campbell? Yeah, yeah. In the realm of this, yeah. we, we can definitely Joseph Campbell reading this thing. Oh, if, yeah. Tony is a mono myth. So, uh, yeah, man. So he gets shot up, gets killed. 35 bullets, however many it takes, you know. Plus I'm one still shotgun here. slug in I'm the back. Here, I'm still here. From the skull. The skull. He went out <laughs> shooting. Yeah, man. Went out blaze, bla- literally blazing glory. Um, and it, you know, doesn't doesn't linger, right? It's like even the, it's almost like a cleanup sequence yeah. as, it, as it goes away from it. It's, there's nothing else to the end of this. There's no fucking, you know, There's funeral. no denouement. Yeah, no, it's over. There's no life after Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, shit. because, you know, the power vacuum he creates is a whole different movie. Absolutely. Yeah, so. it, it actually is funny that way because the, the end scene, you know, there's a pool of blood yep. now full of Tony's blood. He's down. There's a globe spinning. Mm-hmm. And his, the edifice is still there. Like, his whole thing is yep. there. And then the movie goes... That's too fucking caught. Whatever. We'll we'll deal with that later. And then credits roll. Yeah. It's like it doesn't want to deal with what Absolutely. that means. <laughs> like that's just too messy. Like yep. it doesn't fuck. Like that's that's actually another thing about Tony's life. Incredibly uncomplicated. Yeah. Very, like it, it, and that may actually be why this movie flows so well is that there aren't a lot of like intersecting no, plot lines for as long as it is. It's very easy to watch. It's very easy to follow because yeah. Tony's Tony is always sort of like he doesn't have like this grand. Like I said, he doesn't have a grand objective beyond just no, becoming he, filthy rich. But every time he's no, doing he, he, something, he lays it out right in the beginning. You get the money, you get the power, <laughs> you get the woman. It's yeah. real easy. People can follow that. It's easy to remember. It's just like he. 
everything he's doing, he's following his nose around. Like mm-hmm. he, there's there isn't much intrigue, and when there is intrigue, it's very ham fisted. It's it, this movie's very easy to follow. But it's 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 also strange too because where. Like if we can if we contrast this with my earlier pick, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, right? Like, um, but subverted American dreams, indeed. But one of the things that I found very fascinating was that you know, in in watching this with the same roughly group of people, um, you know, the it, there was a clear lack of understanding the motivation behind you know Gonzo and um, and uh, 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 Duke uh, Raul Duke. You know, in oh, no, fear they didn't loathing. know what the fuck yeah, was they, going they had on. Yeah, they like, like once, like, but with Scarface, right? The the motivation of Scarface is uh, Tony Montana is fucking evident and like bizarrely relatable. Like, you know, <laughs> like there's this weird sense. Like that, I said, he's Luke Skywalker. Yeah, man. no, like the the simplicity with which the 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 character projects himself into the story is so fucking well done, and yet. Uh, like it is both simple and yet complicated, right? The the complexity, I think, once again, is this in the way it's presented. This is because the story's not subtext. simple. I mean, it does. I I do like you know we didn't bring in this, but there's I do like how they kind of work in like the bigger structure here, where he's going Some to Bolivia, and you know there's the there's there's other things at play, but it doesn't complicate it. It's mm. and it's not complicated because it it has a degree of verticality to it. You don't see more than one drug kingpin. You see there there is a really specific hierarchy and you basically don't know about anything else. It's only vaguely referenced it's vaguely referenced there's a couple of brothers, there's the Colombians, but they don't they're all completely an abstraction. There is there's Omar, there's Frank, mm-hmm. there's just there's this order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tony is just slotting himself in up this rank chart, and there's no like there are no branches to that chart. No, yeah. um, and again, that that makes it easy to comprehend what's going on. Well, and you, like the the discipline to know that you don't need it, right? The discipline and trust you have to have that, like, look, we're just you know we're going to A B C D this thing out, and this is where you know we're going to try to focus on you know connecting those points as effectively as possible, and it's something that kind of gets lost, but yet. You know, I find that it's so strange that, you know, so much of, you know, people's desire, I think, to see films and and is this focus on, like, story. And when you're given something that is, like, well, the story to this isn't that great of a story, right? The execution, the way it's presented, like, I, you know, that it becomes much, much more uh, of why people, I find find this film fucking enjoyable, right? Like nobody's well, like, I find Scarface, it enjoyable. great story. Yeah. Like, that's not, you know, like, no, no like that's not the, you know. You're no, kinda... I mean, Tony, Tony takes no oblique angles yeah. in this movie. Like it, following Tony's logic is extremely straightforward. Every, every time Tony <laughs> does something smart, it is, it is him hot, like checker style hopping yep. over the guy that he is supposed to answer to. He, mm-hmm. And he does it three times. Like that's, that's all you have to know about the intrigue of Tony's life. Tony is, a very uncomplicated motivator. Yeah, but he is a man of action. Actor. I he is a say. man of action. And that's that is something that is just, you know, not well represented in a lot of film because you know, usually men of action, it's like, you know, they're they're there's there's action films, right? They're men of action films. They're not men of like, you know, action in terms of like, 
you know, how would you move up from like this one after the other? Towards mobility. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> or so, upward mobility. Well, but once again, and doing it to achieve the aims, right? Like all action movies, all he- oh, all action stars are like barely succeeding at the action they're undertaking, right? That's the whole, like, that's the kind of the weird thing about action films. Or they're always there accident. It's like, oh, why Why am I the one in this situation? I didn't choose this. Well, no, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, like Die Hard is the film of a man barely succeeding the whole film, right? Who didn't like, want to be there in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't like some, like, but to see, like, Tony Montana, who, like, acts and fucking succeeds. Like, this is what's weird about it is that we're so... So much of drama is shown how things are difficult and people barely scraping by. Tony's like, I fucking do this. I lose my friend to to you know who got chainsawed to death by Colombians. I had to watch him, and I'm gonna fucking make this count. Yeah, and like, bam, done. You know, like moving up the ladder, and well, and that's he's watching. He every every time he moves, he jumps over the guy in front of him. Yep. And then watches that guy fall. Yeah. And then jumps over the next guy and watches him fall. He's literally, he's climbing a burning ladder. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, but he is climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't, he could just theoretically stop mm-hmm. at any rung in that ladder. Yep. Like, there's there's no reason why he needs to do this other than the fact that that's the logical thing for him to be doing. Yep. It's to making making deals, not even necessarily behind people's back. Making those deals. Even every time, you know, he bypasses Omar, he tells Omar he's bypassing Omar. Yeah. When he bypasses Frank, he just does. He just yeah. does it. Mm-hmm. When he bypasses Sosa, he just kills the assassin. Like it's it's one and done. He doesn't mm-hmm. bother. He doesn't bother to think any of this through very well, much. Well, no, that's what I mean, and that's well, that's where it bites him because you know Sosa in the the Bolivian situation, like that guy. The guy in Bolivia that is producing the cocaine, that guy is not a loser. That guy is like a rich empire who like owns and controls like basically a whole country. So, you know, that guy sees big, big picture. Right. And Tony Tony's not that person. Like No, he's Tony not. Tony is not Tony is not controlling governments and manipulating policy and controlling production. You know, Tony is dealing with what is in front of him in a way that he would never be able to, you know, like he would never be able to make that jump to where. But uh, that's the weird thing about the jump is that when you get to the point where you realize what Sosa is, that he is actually the top, like mm -hmm. you can't go above him. Yeah. You realize this in a scene where Tony screws up and has to answer to Sosa, and what he discovers is that there is a collage of people. That's where the whole scheme goes horizontal, mm-hmm. because there is the general. Yeah. There are yeah. there's the ambassador, and these people are not above or below each other. They're all part of this gang yeah. that's at the top. That's manipulating and policy. And Tony's comfort zone is to be between two people. Yeah. He is always between two. And when that bottom rung falls out, mm-hmm. he jumps to being between a boss and a boss's boss again. And he can't do that with Sosa because there's no one above him. Yeah. Um. So so his leapfrog technique that. does not like, work. Yeah. And Tony Tony can't take can't be Sosa. Like he's not a partner. No. He's not a partner to well, anybody. No. Like I said, because like Michelle Pfeiffer said, at the end of the day, he's sort of just the loser. Like he. He's not the policymaker yeah. here. He's a merc. Yeah. No, and 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 also, I mean, there's nothing there's nothing Tony had that he didn't take from somebody else. 
right? Like, and that's kind and of because of that leapfrog. Yes, exactly. Like that's that's how he does it. He shoves himself into the next position by shunting someone else down the river. Yeah, but it's also interesting too that that you know I think the, the one of those perceptive lines about about uh, Tony Montana comes from Soso when you know they're they're sitting at the villa and he's talking to him and he's like, I like you, Tony. There is no lying in you. You know, like there's no, like there is there like like literally with Scarface, what you see is what you get, right? And he kind of like tells you where this is. There's no, you know, he's not pretending. He's not going to, you know, put himself out there. He's but not it, overselling himself. Yeah, exactly. And so there's like I think it's kind of unique that that kind of gets you know from this person, right? The one person that he can't leapfrog, right? I think that is the person who sees Tony. Right, more than I think other people did, right? Because I think it's obvious that I think Frank gets Tony, but makes the mistake that Tony, you know, is but uh, doesn't give him enough credit. Well, he mistakes loyal, uh, he mistakes honesty for loyalty, mm-hmm. and those are not the same thing, right? Like well, Frank also doesn't really seem to view Tony as a matter of personality so much as functionality, because Sosa's line. There's no lying in you. That's not that's not Tony's function in his crew. That's the approach that Tony will take. Mm-hmm. Whereas Frank talks about his honesty, but that's only that's only in reference to the fact <clears throat> that Tony brought him the money and the Yayo after yeah. the altercation occurred. That that wasn't really even talking about Tony's character. He was just talking about needing someone like that. Yeah. Um, which is very that's that's very different from personality. That's yeah. functionality. Yeah. And Sosa was commenting on his personality. Yes, absolutely. I think so too. And it's but it's one of those things. It's a mis- you know because Frank's not a dumb guy, right? Frank's whole purpose is you know I'm going to be in this business and I'm going to last in this business, right? And of course he makes that fatal mistake by uh, uh, you know assuming that you know I think seeing within Tony that Tony is not internalizing the lessons that Frank's trying to project to him about like look if you want to last in this business you need to moderate you need to and you know you need don't to get high off your own supply yeah exactly blah, you need, like blah, you know blah. you need to follow the rules yeah and when Tony feels uh, is clearly incapable or unwilling to follow those rules um you know Frank fails to either see it coming ahead of time or once again uh believing somehow that it that you know Tony's downfall won't affect him and you know it's a clear mistaken um, in terms of like the intrinsic motivation of who he is, uh, which is once again ironic because it, it assumes that honesty is loyalty rather than you know the fact that you no know, it's actually honesty and you can't assume that someone isn't you know that they're telling you the truth and uh, that that will somehow come across in other ways uh, and it's just funny because that kind of you know dynamic plays out in front of us um, and ultimately it is of course Frank who double crosses uh, uh, Tony in the end. Uh, but but fails to do so and pays that price for it. I mean, if there's, you know, I mean, it's just funny too because if it's one person you're going to try to fuck over, <laughs> you'd really want to make sure you got it right with Scarface. You know, like I wouldn't. Yeah. Wanna, yeah. Probably. Yeah, I think, mean, for what it's worth, the fact that that hit didn't work is pretty incredible. Um, yeah, so that's a good. Scene. It really probably should have worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Probably should have Richard Belzer kills him. I would have. I would have fucked up. So. Um, Scarface, man. Yeah. That's fun oh, stuff. Absolutely. Are we going to try to get another film in or, or well, two before I, uh I mean, so it was October? my pick, but I feel like I feel like we can get going with the October stuff because by the time we watch a movie probably early next week and then get podcasting, it's going to be almost November or almost October. I mean, like I said, so I it'll feel, be I, I feel comfortable. Oh, like, the next podcast isn't going to go up until probably October. That's what 4th I mean. So I feel I feel comfortable there. moving forward with my with my uh my uh, Halloween, it'll be the month right month pick. Well, and having said that, 
Nicole. Yes. Uh, do you have a I do, Halloween pick for us? I do have a pick. Okay. Uh, this movie's called House. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's like oh, a man. 70s Japanese camp film. Ah. And I don't know that I can really explain much more than that. Yeah, seeing is believing. Yeah, I don't leading. even know what the movie is about, really, but it's worth watching. Okay. I mean, there's like schoolgirls in it. Let's oh do that. And some ghosts. Okay. Cool. And Are they the same? No. 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 <laughs> it's hard to it say. Is, it's hard to say. I don't say. think so, but it's, it's, it's a wacky, it's a wacky one. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, but that's, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off uh, for Halloween month with that one. Oh, wow. So I get the last Halloween pick? Damn it. That's a lot to live up to. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to pick anything spooky for mine. I'll have to think about it. But uh, I mean, I mean, you know, it's a it's a wide category. It is Halloween-ish. Scarface should be scary. Yeah, <laughs> it fits I, in so guy, many categories. The guy murders the shit out of a lot of people. That's kind of spooky. Absolutely. Oh, but in any case, um, so yeah, Scarface is great. Uh, House will be coming up. Yep. And that's going to do it for the Machination Log, Ryan and Nicole. Here, here. Good morning, everyone.